Welcome to Casting Nets. I am one of your hosts, uh, Pastor Dave Rudach. I am joined here with Pastor Dave Endorf, and he is from Brooklyn Lutheran Church in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. Say hello, Dave. Hello, Dave. And I'm also joined uh, by uh, Mrs. Rochelle Manzano and Rochelle Rochelle Manzano, and uh, so she is our licensed marriage and family therapist from Christian Family Solutions. So, hello, Rochelle. Good morning. And we are continuing our conversation we began last week, which is talking about parenting resiliency. And as we do so, um, we are reminding you, the listeners, that we are not speaking for the calling bodies that have called us, our place of employment. We're having a conversation. You're joining in on a conversation, giving you uh, tools, but sometimes we are just uh, throwing things up against the wall and having a conversation with one another. We're here to learn. We're here to start the, the conversation and not to end it. So if you uh, want to respond to something that we say, if you're triggered in any way, please talk to us in person. You can talk to us in person at Brooklyn Lutheran Church in Brooklyn Park. You can talk to Rochelle at FVL or Manitowoc Lutheran High School. Uh, you can email the podcast at castingnetspod at gmail.com. And on the flip side, if you are not triggered, but you thought this is an awesome show, more people should uh, hear about this, you can like us. And that we are not uh, uh, finding our self-identity or self-worth and how many likes we receive, but we do know that the algorithm likes those things. So do it for the algorithm. Don't do it for us. Like us, subscribe, put, uh, click the little bell thing, uh, share it with your friends um, so that more would understand and, and appreciate this wonderful gift of, of uh, the, the, the tools that God has given to us in, in our vocation as pastor and vocations as uh, Christian Family Solutions with their um, uh, therapists. Anything else to add before we go right into the show? No. And the coffee has not activated for these two yet. So let's... Uh, it gets a little better. Okay, let's go. Here we go, right into the show. Last time we talked about traits of what does it mean to be a resilient parent and what does it mean to be a resilient child. There were nine of them. Uh, you can look at that on YouTube. We'll have a link for that uh, after the show is over. And I actually broke it up in chapters on the YouTube link. The Facebook link, I can't break that up into chapters. So if you're just looking at uh, various traits you want to uh, talk about, learn more about, look at those, uh, look at it on YouTube. And today we're talking about tools um, that parents should use in considering in, in developing better their uh, parenting resiliency. So take it away, Rochelle. Yeah, thanks for having me back to the show. Um, this is a topic that I get to talk about a lot with my students at, at the high schools. And so I'm, you know, I'm really excited to be able to share, like share the information out even to the parents, right? Because I don't have as much contact with the parents as I do as I have with the kids. So um, it, just to just as a reminder, right, the definition of resiliency is is how how to bounce back or the ability to bounce back quickly after a challenge or a problem. And so what we're going to start out with is talking about those tools. I think <clears throat> I don't know 
you know, what you guys are thinking, but like for me, parenting is hard. It's right. It's, it's a, it's a job. And, um, I know I need to bounce back sometimes from whether it's, I know I didn't do something right, or my kids are going through a hard time. Um, and so let's start out by talking about the first tool and that would be, um, mindfulness. So when I talk about mindfulness, I talk about with my clients that we have essentially three different levels of what would be a good word, just kind of functioning in our brain. One is going to be living in the moment, living in the present. The second is going to be kind of that fight or flight stage where we are in danger or perceiving that we're in danger. And so our, our, basically our brain is getting our body ready to survive. And then the third one is where maybe we can't handle life. And so we do a little bit of a shutdown. All three of these levels are healthy, but sometimes they, they go to the unhealthy. So can you describe what a shutdown, what, what are some things that, that someone would identify in themselves as shutting down or identify in their child that they're shutting down? Mm-hmm. So words that are going to be common that we're going to recognize in that shutdown phase would be um, depression, isolation, hopelessness, numbing out, things like that. Okay. And you said that all three of these phases are, are healthy. You know, how would this have a, a healthy function in somebody's life? Yeah, I think that's really important. So if we're talking about, you know, that first phase that I talked about, which is just living in the present, I think that's pretty easy to understand. We're enjoying life. We're able to take in what's around us. We're able to create memories, right? The fear of flight stage or the fight or flight, excuse me, like I, I like to use this example. If you're hiking on a trail and you see a wild animal, you want your brain to get your body ready to survive. Right? I got a great story about that, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so you, you appreciated that your brain was able to do that for you. Actually, I just kept talking. Um, as, as we walked by a rattlesnake and, and thankfully the guy I was with was paying attention and knew what was going on and saved me. So yeah, he had, he had it going on. I almost died. So. So his brain went into the right stage. Yes. Well, for sure. See, and that's the thing that's interesting, because if we don't see it, the danger, our brain doesn't take us there. Hmm. Right. And and I'll go back to that in a second as I'm talking about this mindfulness thing that to just kind of finish up on what <clears throat> Pastor Endorf asked the blue state. Ah, I'm sorry, I have a sheet that I use, but the, the stage where you shut down. Most of the time, the example that I use is like 
you know, how do, when you lose a, a loved person, one, right? How do you, how do the immediate family members get through the funeral? Um, and that's that kind of that shutdown. It's just, I have to, I have to get through this, right? And so that would be a healthy example of, of how our brain kind of goes into that shutdown mode. So it's not a, not a complete shutdown, but like an, like a, a running on autopilot kind of thing. Like a numbing, right? Like I'm numbing my yeah. feelings to the point where I can make it through. So the tool that you're, as we understand the three states that uh, a mind can get into. So the tool is mindfulness. Describe how mindfulness helps the individual when facing with these three different states of the brain. Yeah, so what mindfulness is going to do, so remember I talked about how sometimes it can be unhealthy to go up into the fight or flight or into the shutdown mode. When we can recognize that that we've, we're in one of those two states and it's not necessarily needed, we can use mindfulness to bring us back into that, like being present or living in the moment. And that's what mindfulness does. And I'm essentially going to share three words with you. I, I could share specific tools, but and, and I'll talk about a couple. But um, if you use these three words and you just incorporate them into your day-to-day -day life, this is going to help you be mindful. Um, the three words are observe, describe, participate. So the more that you can observe the more that you can describe and the more that you participate, the more you're going to be in a mindful state. And to, and to, to add to that, it's going to be a lot of sensory stuff. So you're going to be making sure that you're seeing what's around you, that you are take, um, hearing what's around you, right? The smells, the, what am I missing? Taste can be a little different, right? Because we're not always tasting everything, um, feeling like by touch. So then, okay, so you're the mindfulness. You're, yeah, I'm just echoing back what you've said. So mindfulness is you're you're observing yourself. So and that might take some active thinking on your part, where you're saying, "I'm reacting this way." Why am I reacting this way? So you're, that's a, taking a step back, trying to disengage a little bit from the emotions of the moment. So you're observing, this is what I'm seeing, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm hearing. And then uh, describing, so then you're describing, okay, that's is that describing what you're seeing or describing the event? What What is that? Describing what you're seeing. So the more that you can describe what's going on around you, the more mindful you're going to be. Okay, all right. So you can, in, just instead of reacting, because we are people mm -hmm. that react, you're taking, you're disengaging for a second, and and describing this is what's going on in me, and this is what's going on, to, what's happening to me, and then uh, participate. What's explain that a little bit more, please? So, um, a good example. Last night I was at a volleyball game, and there, you know, there were some people that were on their phones, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but if I'm noticing that someone is on their phone during the whole volleyball game that's probably not participating right it's participating is going to be watching the game cheering for the team talking to the people around you 
um, participating in the cheers, things like that. And then, so participating in the fight or flight mode, what does that look like? Well, so what ends up happening in those three states, right, is that when something happens to us, maybe we're feeling like we did something wrong as a parent or our kids are going through a hard time, sometimes our brain will will perceive danger or challenge. So it's not necessarily a, a, a danger or a challenge, but we're perceiving like, hey, this is unsafe in my life or this is unsafe in my kid's life. And so we'll go up into that fight or flight mode when when we don't necessarily need to. Um, healthy way. And so by being mindful, we can move back into the present. And actually what that does is it, it brings us back into rational thinking. See, that was going to be my question is, does this help us with that disconnect sometimes between our perceptions and reality? You know, where we're perceiving a threat and, you know, the reality of, you know, no, we are safe. We It is okay. Yeah. So, so you know, I have a, a kid that comes home and tells me they had a hard day at school or, or whatever. And I'll, if I go up into that state of fight or flight, all of a sudden I'm ready to go and sit down and have a, a talk with this person instead of being able to sit back and say, okay, is this really something that, that you know, do I just need to let them, you know, um, diffuse? Or it, it just helps me think it through a little bit better instead of just going and taking action because that's that fight or flight. I'm either going to fight or I'm going to run away. And a lot of times as parents, we want to go and we want to fight for our kids. Sometimes I even have to call up a friend and say, I just want to talk about this. <laughs> or sometimes so kids, just, yeah, kids are, have, I, I, um, I, we've had that too with our, our children where they're like, dad, we don't want you to do anything. We just, and, and part of that is, is the, the conversations that you continually have with your children of um, how's it going. And as a parent, sometimes you just want to disengage. You're just like, you know, this, they're, these kids are, are um, treating life and are getting upset over nothing. And then, or the other way where they're, they're not reacting. Hey, they didn't get the, get, they're not on the team and it, it doesn't seem like it's affecting them at all, but engaging them um, and to help them also to be mindful and to, to think about what's, what's happening to them and to uh, um, not to overreact, but to react appropriately. Yeah, and that's going to go back to kind of what I talked about last time, like we're setting the example, right, we're modeling for them how to be resilient. And so these tools that we're talking about that we can use as parents while we're parenting, um, we can also help our kids understand how they can use these same tools to be resilient. I just want to throw out that there's a pretty big distinction here between doing this and venting where, you know, somebody's just going on a rant or, or letting off steam. And I, I, I get ranting or, or venting can help you feel better. Um, but that's not what this is. And, you know, the, the one can lead to this cycle where, you know, something happens and you, you train yourself to get angry and frustrated. And that's the exact opposite of 
really what we want as Christians, you know, because God says, get rid of, you know, bitterness, anger. Um, and, and so as, as you're making use of these tools, uh, you know, avoid that, you know, the, that's my little soapbox. Soapbox. Or venting to the world, you know, gossiping. Um, yeah. Yep. That's where social media can get a little tricky. <clears throat> can we move on to the next one, or do you have any other thoughts to close would, off mindfulness? Well, what? no, I was just going to add, you know, with what Pastor Endorf said, calling up someone and talking to them could sound a lot like, hey, help me think this through in a different way. Right. And I, that was one of the, the traits that we talked about is how are we going to see challenges? Right. So how can I grow from this that I'm not seeing right now? All right. Restructuring number two. Yeah. Restructuring how you think about the problem. And I was just talking about this, right? We're, this is a great move right into this is um, we have a, a therapy technique approach called cognitive behavioral therapy. And if you really break that down, it's thoughts, actions, and how are we putting that into therapy? And so our action, our thoughts, sorry, I'm sorry, our thoughts influence how we feel and then our feelings contribute to how we act. And so if we're acting in a way that's not resilient, we have to go back and say, how are we going to think about this thing so that way we're going to make it through? And, and this is a really great tool to use. Remember I talked about the rocks and the Play-Doh last time? We are going to have problems that are rocks in our life, things that we can't move, things that we can't do anything about. And so what we, I always talk about, we can't change the situation, but we can change how we're thinking about it. And if we learn how to think about it differently, we can act differently. I just want to say that as a pastor, when I've encouraged therapy, I, I've, I've heard from many people, how is talking about it going to make a difference? And, and I, I would say two things, you know, one, um, you know, because of the way God has designed us, you know, the, there is that loop of, you know, if you think about things in a certain way, you're going to produce stress hormones and that's going to just change how you feel. But also it, it does change how you act and, and that changes your environment. And, and then that's going to change how things are going for you. So it produces changing how you think produces those internal and external changes. And so this is not just talking, you know, it, it has real world changes. Um, and, and that's crucial. I mean, that's fundamental. And having gone to therapy myself, you know, it's, it's a blessing. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, to say things out loud and have someone echo it back to you. Is this what you're? This is what I'm hearing from you. Is and then also having people echo back to you. This is who you are in Christ. So you'll you'll get that from a pastor. 
who explains to you this is your identity found in Christ, but then you also get it from a Christian Family Solutions therapist too because they're, they're bringing in uh, the Christian faith as they're talking to that individual. So we have the external word um, that's um, bolstering and changing a person's thought pattern, but then also, as, as you guys are saying, thoughts producing feelings, feelings producing acting, action. And I love, I love using, you know, biblical um, application in this specific tool because a lot of times it's, it's the devil who are kind of implanting those thoughts that are keeping us from being resilient. Yeah, yeah. Right? The, the sinful nature is going right along with the a- accusations of the devil and telling you you're, you know, one, either you're overreacting or two, you're numb to it. Like this is something you deserve and you're, you're no good and all those things. Yeah. yeah. And so where, when we can go ahead, Pastor. Well, that's where, yeah, that's where I love Judas as an example of, you know, what the devil loves to do to people, you know, you know, did Christ die for Judas' sin on the cross? Absolutely, you know, but it was the despair that Judas felt and that the accuser, the devil wants to work in his heart that led to, uh, you know, suicide. Um, and, and so we we understand at least part of where that comes from in the work of the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature. Yeah. 100%. So, if, you know, if something happens and then all of a sudden I'm thinking, like, I can't handle this situation or, um, how you know, how am I going to deal with my kid or I can't control my kid or whatever, those things are going to lead to actions where it, it breaks the relationship between the parent and the child, right? Because the parent is essentially telling themselves, I, why even try Right. And so how do you change how you're thinking about whatever that is? Right. There's no problem that's too hard to solve. Um, This is a a moment in time. All of those things are going to influence, you know, a parent to go to the kid and say, hey, let's try this again. And that's where I've always appreciated um, Professor Gurgel. Because he had First um, Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, you know, our our labor in the Lord is not in vain. So we devote ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, you know, and that's the that's always been the restructuring of the problem in in my mind, you know, that that fits everything. You know, how do you know you can work on the problem? Because our labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know, and I I may not, I'm not going to say it perfectly. I I don't have the words of wisdom that, um, you know, a TV dad has or or whatever, but God's going to bless it and take care of it. And that's where it's not in vain. And so you make the attempt, you put in the work because God is there with you. And that's the context we always have as believers to restructure a problem. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. And and we pass that along to our kids, right? In in how the words that we choose to use in our home, um, how we talk about problems in our home, um, when we hear 
you know, a lot of times at, in our household, we've gotten good at saying, is that really the truth? Because we'll talk about it from the perspective of lies and truth, right? Like, like the devil likes to speak these lies into our minds. And then we can say, like, is that really what the Bible says? Like, let's think about that. And, and I've gotten so good at helping my kids that they've started to do it to me, too. Yeah, yeah I, I do remember, I can remember times when my circuit pastor, when I was talking about something, I'm frustrated with ministry or frustrated with myself, just ex- explaining, Dave, this, this whatever it is you're expressing to me is not the reality. The reality is that you have peace uh, with God through Jesus Christ, and that's a peace, and then just that okay that changed your th- your whole thinking your whole everything was transformed now because i have peace with god then this this angst that's inside of me is is not the reality but really the reality that has been proclaimed to me by someone else um peace with god all right um let's move on to number 3 distracting from the problem distracting from the problem this one is a is a tightrope walk for me. Um, I think that there's a ton of distraction techniques, and there's a lot. Of, so if we're looking at it from those three different states of our mind, um, I think distracting would fit into the shutdown state a lot. So what distraction techniques do is it it distracts us from being from thinking about the problem, and I will say. A lot of clients that come into my office, because one of the questions I ask are, what are the coping skills that you're using day to day? A lot of them are going to be distracting techniques. and But they're coming in because the distracting techniques aren't quite fulfilling enough. They're not doing enough to resolve the issue. But I think that there's a time and place for distracting techniques. So would you find distracting used more towards the rock issues or the Plato issues? Which one would be used more? See it in either, to be honest with okay. you. So it's not like one more than the other. Like yeah, if you got someone who's got a, a difficult problem, cancer, and okay, now we're going to do more distracting for them, or is it just for sometimes people are, It's a, this is an issue that's not as big as what their emotions are telling them, so now we need a distraction to try to just say, until I get a, the proper cognitive thought pattern, this is what I'm going to use instead. Is that what you're saying? I think so. I think those are just the really easy ones to figure out, right? The the CBT or the cognitive restructuring, I don't know if that's as natural as, as the distraction techniques. And I, I, a good example in my work with kids is that maybe they think are feeling overwhelmed with their homework load. And so what, instead of like being able to figure out a way to get that homework under, under, um, you know, under control, they'll play video games for the whole night. So that would be a distracting technique, but that's maybe where that distracting technique goes awry. But if a, <laughs> if a kid comes home and says, "Hey, I just need to. I just need to, um, like, kind of relax for a half hour or an hour. That's not a bad thing." 
When we had uh, Susan Fink on to talk about self-care, that was one of the things in her book, um, Self-Care, Selfish or Sacred, where, you know, taking a walk, uh, going outside um, when you are stressed or something, just do something that is care for your own body but then is different, is a, helps you to, to be a distraction. I know we have uh, Professor Deutschlander, he would often say this about sermon writing where you get stuck and you just don't know what you're going to do, what you're going to say next year in a writer's block with your sermon, you'd say, help me, Lord, uh, send the Holy Spirit into me, but right now I'm going to take a nap. And then he goes and takes a nap, wakes up, and then boom, he's ready to ready to go. Is that, are we on the same wavelength with that? Yep, yep. But it also can be, like you said, it can be negative where if you're taking a walk all day or, or if you're playing video games, um, I know for myself as well where some distractions are, aren't helpful they aren't you 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 go on that distraction you watch the tv show an hour later you're back you, you go to, back to 100 miles an hour and it hasn't helped you yep. so I, I gotta jump in and say that now i feel like i'm failing as an adult because um i am lousy at distraction techniques like okay okay i gotta hypothetically i've got a, a delinquent visit that's coming up and I, I know it's going to be a rough one and like I'm lousy at distracting myself like so like what do you do you mean you just kind of sit there and be in those bad feelings about the upcoming delinquent visit when you put it that way it sounds bad but <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yes. I'm just trying to get a better understanding. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I have done all the things I never want to do on the day that I'm having, like I'm having a, wor- a bad day, and I'm like, let's just pile it all on. If I'm, if this day can't get any worse, if this is a bad day, why don't I just do all the things that are difficult for me? Because it's a bad day already. I mean, this week I had a migraine. It's like let's do all the things that I've been putting off because my head hurts anyway. So just, just do it. it um, so is that a distraction technique? Cause I'm distracting myself from the, the blinding headache that I have by doing other things that I don't want to do. Sure. Otherwise when my brain is just fully functional. All right. Cause I always figured that was just, well, as long as I'm frustrated anyway, I would may as well do this other thing. I don't like doing. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if we're moving beyond, <coughs> excuse me. Is that- we're, it, if that counts as a distraction technique, then okay, I'm not so bad, I guess. But I'm not weighing in on that because I don't even know what to think about that right now. <laughs> so, all right, so distraction as a concept, just to kind of wrap things up on that, is is kind of sometimes when we aren't ready to process whatever it is that's in front of us. So we have some, some sort of technique that we use to give us some rest, some distance between the emotion and the problem. Is that fair to say? Yep. Yep. Our kids come home. They've done something that has made us mad. We know that we're not in that, in that living in the present stage, living in the moment, because that's when we're going to be able to be the healthiest. It's okay to, it's, it's okay to use a distraction technique to get back into that. Okay. 
I we we lost the audio on the last sentence that you said there. I said it's okay to it's okay to take a it's okay to take a break to get into the positive mind state. Okay. Let's move on to number four: uh, learning to accept the problem, radical acceptance. <clears throat> I don't know how often this this technique is used, but I think that there's a use for it. I don't know how often it, you know, this technique needs to be used, but essentially it's that this is a, a one of the rock for the rock problem. It's not changing. There's really nothing that we can do about it. So we're just going to have to learn that this is going to be something that's a part of our life. So it's just saying, it's just saying, okay, it is what it is. Which is a mind loop. <laughs> that's how you end a conversation with someone where someone you say well why aren't you coming to church well it is what it is pastor well <laughs> or yeah why aren't you doing why aren't you coming to church more often well it, it's, it's life that's what it is we got we got I know that conversation uh, yeah our kids are busy our kids are in school and our kids have activities and it is what it is pastor okay but i'm entirely helpless in my life i yeah, yeah. but um i i can definitely radical acceptance so what are some like key phrases that you would use for radical acceptance Oh, some key phrases. I actually was trying to think of like an example from a parenting perspective that this would, you know, that this would apply the, the really the example that kept coming to my head and it's not necessarily dealing with parenting, but it's um, your spouse comes up to you and says that they want a divorce. Mm. There's not a lot like there's just going to have to eventually be some radical accept- acceptance. It, it is it, it is what it is. Um God, you know, God's will is perfect. So as much as like you may want the marriage to stay, there's that realization that God is going to bless you even in the difficult moments or even in the hard moments. I could see that. I think. Go ahead. I'm going to say that this is where it's nice to be preaching on Joseph forgiving his brothers in Genesis 50 for for this coming Sunday because you know his brothers sold him into slavery and you know he can say to them you meant it for evil but God meant it for good and when we're talking about radical acceptance you know as a, a pastor you know I can always say you know, God's going to use it for good. You know, um, this isn't really what God wants, but God's going to use it to get people to heaven. And and God's going to use it for good. And so, you know, yeah, that, that person is sinning against you. Yes, this disease is hard. You know, I'm not minimizing the evil, but... This is what we have in God's glory, in, in his gift to us. And it far outweighs what you're going through. 
and and that's you know uh, the radical acceptance we have as believers and it's there even for the the kids it's there for for teens it's there for everybody and that's a a huge blessing it sure is uh, definitely better than the alternative which is you know denial where you're this is uh, you think of a, a child with a uh, um, a difficulty here. I would think of myself when you're talking about radical acceptance where, yeah, when throughout my childhood, I had hearing loss and I still do, but it's what it is. It, it, this is what I have. This is who I am. And so as, as parents as well, if a kid has a difficult problem, the flip side would be, Oh, it'll get better. Or, you know, this is this, this disease, we'll find a cure. You know, we'll just get more and more, um, uh, try to find this, uh, treatment or that treatment because the, they're in denial. We think of someone who is older, uh, who is is having difficulty accepting that they can't live on their own. They're going to be in denial that I can still live this way, and I'm going to do this, and and uh, and it's going to get crazier and crazier for that individual, and more difficult and more difficult until they accept this is this is the situation that i am in and then therefore they can bounce back from that situation could and they can deal with that situation instead of living in a in a in a bubble um so and i thank you for bringing up the old testament boy genesis here we go uh here is an example of a resilient individual joseph who had underwent terrible things uh rock things and still was this is an evil but god is still faithful I would add that part of that acceptance is to to turn our focus then outward for other people, you know, because God comforts us so that we can comfort other people, you know, so that, you know, we can be there to, to serve and love other people. And, and part of it, accepting and, and growing and maturing as Christians is to to have that focus then of saying, yeah, this is hard, but this is going to let me be there for other people who are going to need help. And I'm going to get to not just help them with an earthly problem, but help get them to heaven. And, and what an amazing gift and blessing that is. And, you know, and that skill alone of, of turning outward is such a huge part of dealing with problems and, and being resilient that, um, I don't know what else to say to finish the sentence. Okay. Well, Rochelle, you had something that. Well, what I was going to mention about that story of Joseph and, and I know that there's other, um, there's other accounts in the Bible of like some of some of those things that he went through, they weren't even true. They weren't fair. Yeah, the injustice. Yep. My cat wanted to add something to the <laughs> from the piano. I didn't hear it, so we're good. It is oh, what it is. Right. <laughs> um, the four tools we talked about four tools parenting parents would use for their own resiliency. What would be a tool that and and they actually overlap with what your kids do. Like you can uh, take these principles and think about them and apply them as you parent your child. But then, do you have a tool specifically designed or specifically geared towards kids and their resiliency? 
So one of the things that I talk a lot about is, um, and maybe you've heard, th heard this, but growth mindset. Were you going to say something? Go ahead. Oh, go. So growth mindset essentially is um, helping kids to focus on the process rather than the end result. Focusing on the journey, right? Not the Not the end goal. So it's... I saw how much time and effort you put into studying for that test, and I'm proud that you tried your best. That's a versus um, I saw I saw you got a B plus on that test, and I you know I I think you can do better. Uh, yeah the the uh, the ability to embarrass yourself is that kind of where it comes in the growth like you're willing to do something that's going to embarrass you because you know the end result eventually is going to be something good or you're going into it saying yeah I might be embarrassed but and you were talking specifically about grades but I'm just thinking of the concept mm -hmm. as a whole as an individual a child tries out for something and doesn't make it it's not the end of the world. Um, but they have learned something or they're, they're on the team and they've learned something. I know uh, if I'm, if I'm going to be proud here for a second, my oldest son, Isaiah is huge. I I'm so proud of this kid. When we came to um, Wisconsin, he had really never played basketball. He played it at, at the Y when he was younger, but when he got to the middle age, uh, the middle school age, where we lived, all the, the 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 public school did not have a team, so instead you had to be on these club teams, which meant you had to be gone on the weekends, and which meant that the Rudots were not going to have their son playing basketball. But when we moved here, he was in eighth grade, and um, he had hadn't really played basketball since he was like in fifth grade. So you think of all those years of developing, and so I encouraged him. I said, "Here, you're in Wisconsin now. You're going to a Christian high, a Christian grade school." It's kind of a thing that you you play basketball, and I know it's not your not your skill, not you're not very good at it, but just see what you can learn from this. And I was just so proud that he would always do that, that he would try things that wouldn't necessarily things that he would succeed in, but he would obvi obviously grow because he's going through that process. Yep, that's it right there. Um. I think it's it is kind of in our social media day, age where you have your influencers. You know, they you everybody wants to be the YouTuber or the the the, the Instagrammer who is has got the million likes and the million follows, and so no one wants to try anything unless they can be guaranteed that they're a success. Um, where the growth mi mindset might be a good thing for our parents to be teaching to their kids. The things that we do are not so that we succeed in the world or that we get the the uh, the first place trophy, but the the reason why we're on these in these sports or in these events, whether it be fine arts or whatever, is so that you would grow as an individual. Yep, and that's you know even when I use the example of the grades, like I will say that if my one of my kids was getting a D in a class and I knew that they could be getting an A, I'm not going to go to them and say I'm so proud of you that you're trying your hardest. I mean, I'm going to incorporate that, but I am going to say, I know that you're not, you're not using your God-given talents and abilities to the best that they can. So that doesn't mean that you can't have expectations knowing what their strengths are, right? How God has blessed them and, and saying like, 
you you can have a better result in this area of your life, but but just always focusing on like, I'm really glad that you tried. I'm really glad that, that you put yourself out there. That must have been hard for you to try out for that thing and not know that you were going to make it or not. And that's okay. So basically you're saying there is another level to participation trophies that it participation trophies should not be an end in and of themselves, that that should also be paired with expectations from parent to child. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, Wow, this is 47 minutes of, of talking, and this has been really good to talk about the different tools that parents and children can use. Uh, we wanted to close a little bit about a discussion about uh, the role and vocation of pastors and uh, Christian family services with uh, their, their licensed marriage and family therapists and so on. How, uh, Dave, you want to lead us through that discussion of the roles between the, t- the two? Yeah, um, you mean since I'm the one who suggested we talk about it? I, I want I you to grow, that, Dave. I want you to grow. grow. Okay. <laughs> I'm putting some expectations, but I'm, I want you to. <laughs> uh, and and I, I think that, you know, as, as we're talking about tools, you know, this is part of being the, the body of Christ, that we're not alone and we have these different, different gifts out there. And you know, we so we have um, we we have therapists out there, we have pastors out there, we have parents who are out there. You know, we also have you know um, teachers. I don't want to undersell the teachers who are out there because they're they're the ones who are with the um, who are with your students. You know, and that's a, a wonderful blessing when you're sending your kids to to Christian school. And I'm a huge supporter of Lutheran education, you know, partly for that reason. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, we have um, we have pastors, and pastors aren't there to provide therapy. But in my experience, having gone to therapy, it was nice to have pastoral support because, you know, he wasn't trying to help me get better or or, or anything like that. He was just there to to help and to support, and and that was nice because you know you have a therapist who's who's helping you do the work, and there are expectations to that. But then you have pastoral support that's just support and. It's it's great to have those two different roles, and I I like that. Um, and so maybe Rochelle, you could speak to, or, or David, you could speak to, you know, the roles of parents and and so on. Because I don't have kids. So um, you know, when I think about how pastors and therapists can create a cohesive team, I think about, you know, therapists are going to have the expertise in like the brain functioning or how how to help change the brain essentially. And pastors are going to have the expertise on the theology part. On the soul. Yeah. Um, yep. On the soul. And so those two things together can create a very powerful 
influence in a person's life. Even though I can use biblical scripture, you know, scripture and examples and things like that, I there's plenty of times that I'll say, I think that's something that you should talk to your pastor about because I don't want to misspeak because I don't have the training that they do in understanding that particular thing from a, from a scripture based. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it also like the individual who the expectation of the person that you're talking to or the, um, the need to not just to be in front of someone else, but to be in some in front of someone else who is in some way an authority. So if you are talking to your Christian therapist and the Christian therapist says, God forgives you, and you are forgiven, you know, that, that resonates. But then when you're talking to someone in authority, your pastor, the one who is in charge of your soul, and he says the same thing, God forgives you, sometimes it hits you differently uh, coming from someone in authority than someone who is your therapist. And um, I, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure where I'm going. I'm just thinking out loud here. But I, I've seen myself where, it, personally, where you know a, a brother in the in the Lord will will talk to me, and and the advice that they give doesn't hit me the same way as say my circuit pastor talking to me because that person is in authority that person has a calling, and for some reason that that hits me differently. So if I would uh, when I would see a, a Christian family services therapist and 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 have a conversation over the phone, I, I understand they're there to help me to reset the thinking pattern that I've, I've got, you know, there's some sort of thinking uh, um, crazy cycle that I'm on. That's not getting me to the, the to the destination that I wanted to go. And so he's going to give me these tools uh, to help break the cycle so that I can um, move forward. And so that's, those are my thoughts out loud. Well, I think we saw it beautifully even here in this podcast, right? Like I I'm giving the tools and, and it was great that you guys could come in and just kind of give that theological aspect to it, right? Like that's the perfect, that's the perfect um, balance right there. I think one thing I would add is that we had talked a little bit about in the pre-show is, uh, you know, the value of, of like the positive psychology movement in in therapy. That it's not just boy, there's this crisis and I've, I've really got to get it fixed and you, and you wait till things get really bad. But, you know, just getting help because there's a lot of good advice out there and, and things can get better. And so, um, you know, like you, you get nutrition advice because you can improve your diet even if you're not necessarily suffering you know, type of an attitude for help with, you know, therapy or with talking to your pastor or becoming more resilient. Um, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean there's a problem or a crisis, but, you know, nobody's born knowing how to parent. Nobody's born knowing how to to raise kids or be resilient. And, and there are all of these blessings and gifts because, you know, the almighty creator of the universe who, who died for your sins has a, a never-ending stream of blessings for you. And, and here are some of them. And, and if you want to make use of them, do it, you know, and, and, and God's got more for you. 
And that's very well said. And I would agree to everything. And I'd also add just this idea that we can't think that we have to hit a certain threshold before we can talk to our pastor or it has to get really, or we're embarrassed to, to share that we've got, we're a sinner with our pastor or that we have, we're struggling with our thoughts with a, with a therapist. Um, I, I, I can't tell you how many times people would say, I'm pastor. I don't want to bother you. You know, I, I don't want, it's like, this is why, this is why you've called me. This is why I'm here. And, and on the flip side, there is nothing that you will tell me that I have not heard before. There's nothing that you tell me that's going to change my opinion of you. I still view you as a child of God redeemed by Jesus Christ, who is a soul under my care. That, that isn't going to change what, no matter what comes out of your mouth. I'm always surprised when somebody tells you, like, tells me, oh, I'm embarrassed to tell you, tell you this. And then what comes out of their mouth is like, oh, yeah, that's not that bad. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you about this guy who was cheating on his wife. And what he had to say was horrifying. <laughs> I, there's this guy who was in a gang. He, what he told me, that was horrifying. <laughs> Okay, there was this lady who was drunk on the church steps, but she was telling me. Sorry, I'll stop now. Yeah, no, you're right. And I, you know, I was talking with someone once and they, I think they said it really, really wonderfully. When you're sick or when you have a broken bone, you don't wait until it gets so bad before you go to the doctor to, to get it checked out, right? And so... You, you don't have to wait until you're at that breaking point mentally to, to see a therapist. Another thing that I like to bring up is, um, I think it's in, and you guys have expertise in this, but in the Luther Luther's Catechism where it talks about, we are going to suffer the sins of our fathers to the third and fourth generation. Right? Am I getting that right? Yeah. Okay. So- okay. So the thing is, is that anyone probably could benefit from therapy because we're suffering the sins of of the you know from Adam from Adam and Eve. Oh, okay. What you're saying is original sin, yeah. And we've got the the problems that we have aren't aren't new, right? And 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 they're never going to go away because of because of those intergenerational patterns that have followed started during the time of Adam and Eve, and so we all have things that could be healed through therapy. So what you're saying is I should blame my parents. <laughs> That's what I'm taking away from this, this whole conversation. It's my parents' it's fault. I don't know that that's resilient. But okay. <laughs> uh, thank you very excuse me. Thank you very much, Rochelle, for joining us on Parenting Resiliency. Uh, you did a fantastic job the last time we, we had her on the show. We were just doing audio, and it was recorded. And now here, we brought it to the next level. She brought her in kicking and streaming, uh, doing a, a live stream as well as a, a audio um, podcast for our Casting Nets listeners. So thank you very much, and thank you very much, Dave, for joining us from across the river over there at Brooklyn Lutheran Church. Um, the Lord bless both of your ministries, and may the, uh, this podcast also be a blessing to our hearers so that they would understand the proper role that uh, the great thing that proper roles of the different vocations that are that got placed in them that they would utilize those uh, um, utilize those vocations 
so because we're all in this together. God put us in the community, and he has given us different callings, and we can, by using uh, the tools that God has given to us and the callings that he has given to us, uh, be a blessing to each other.